Enjoy more gifts, more holiday magic, and more merry moments for less this holiday season at your local cellular sales. We have the top devices on everyone's list and the deals at the top of your list. Visit us in-store and save up to $1,000 on a new 5G phone when you trade in your old or unused phone. Our wireless consultants are here and ready to help you celebrate every moment all winter long. Visit CellularSales.com to find a store near you. Adjusting to civilian life is never easy. However, far too many veterans won't or just don't know how to ask for help. That's where we step in. We're Clear Path for Veterans, a nonprofit organization helping veterans throughout New York. We're here for the good days, the bad days, and every day in between. But we can't do it alone. By donating or volunteering your time, you can help a veteran find a sense of peace and community. To learn more, visit clearpathforvets.org. Clear Path for Veterans. Our name says it all. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass, and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into Garden of Doom. This week we welcome in our three-time returning guest, Reverend Jim Willis, the author of many books, including Censoring God and the Religion Book. Um, he's been on several times, and, and we're going to get them real, real soon. Um, so... Originally, when I talked to Jim, and, and he's been on before, so you you may recognize some of uh, the you know his voice and his name from prior topics. We were going to talk about uh, Babylonian and then move into Hinduism, uh, and then at some point recently said, um, "How about we talk about this instead?" And I'm like, "Okay, sounds good." Uh, and what he suggested was the shamanic origins of proto-mythology or 
well, I'll just leave it at that and he can correct me if I'm wrong. The interesting thing is for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, you've sort of been with me on this little journey where I sort of started to come to believe that most of the uh, myths that we know, uh, we, uh, that's a very Jeff-centric thing, but, you know, Western, what we call the Middle East, you know, going as far as India, I, I have issues with the ge- geographic terms because middle to who. Um, anyway, and, and, you know, so you're Norse, you're Greek, you're, you're Egyptian. All, all those myths had some common root, and I, I figured that they were found sort of in the first speakers of the Indo-European language, which was sort of close, close enough to be dangerous. And then someone said to me, a very smart person said, well, you're on the right path, but I think you're really looking for the first shaman. And I'm like, hmm. That sounds great. Uh, I'm having enough trouble finding a shaman, period. Uh, by the time you hear the show, you'll know that I did find a shaman, and, and uh, we had a great interview, and he's going to be on the show uh, probably pretty regularly as well, which is terrific. Um, but not the first shaman. He's, you know, First Nations, and we'll, you know, uh, and the first shaman's obviously, you know, something very far and different. I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know what, what even the breadcrumbs or I, I don't know how to embark on this path, but I, I wasn't going to give up. I was going to try. And little did I know that what Jim was talking about was, in fact, that, or darn close to it. So uh, not only did, did I not know I had breadcrumbs available to me, but I had a loaf of bread available to me. So without further ado, welcome back into the garden, Reverend Jim Willis. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be with you, always. Terrific. I feel the same way. Um and for those who haven't had the benefit of hearing you on the prior shows here, or perhaps on Earth Ancients or anywhere else, your own shows, I mean, you do have your own uh, YouTube shows and things like that, um, just introduce the folks, tell them a little bit about yourself. I've been an ordained minister for 50 years now. When I went to seminary, I was fresh out of college, I was a musician, and I had this idea that when you go to seminary and you come out and you're get ordained and you become pastor of a church, that what you're doing is joining a, a, a vibrant, spiritually seeking community that wants to grow together spiritually. And I soon discovered it was nothing like that. <laughs> when you're the pastor of a church, nine out of ten times what you are is a CEO of a uh, uh, a company. You're, you've got to be involved with other things like fundraising and taking care of buildings and doing pastoral counseling and trying to salve over arguments in the church and making sure that uh, people who like one kind of music hear their kind of music and the other kind of people who like different kind of music hear their kind of music. It's anything but a, a growing spiritual family, almost always. Uh, I, any pastor can tell you that. And so at the end of uh, 40 years of ministry, this was about 13, 14 years ago now. In, I, I was facing retirement, and I had the idea, well, should I just, you know, retire and maybe do some supply preaching or, you know, interim work or something like that to keep me busy? Or should I try to finish up my life by doing what I tried to do when I started it? And that's seeking an experience of God. You know, when you're a minister, and, I, and of course I was also a college professor teaching comparative religion, so I was talking about God and talking about religion and talking about the spirit, but I wasn't experiencing it because like most folks today, I, I didn't have time. Uh, we just lead, lead such 
busy, hectic lives and spiritual contemplation and meditation for anybody who tries it requires amounts of time when you're just throwing all that stuff off and just being. Uh, you can't guide meditation. You can't guide spiritual growth. You just have to be available when it comes to you and be with your eyes open and more important, your heart open. So when I retired, I, I came out here to the woods of South Carolina and uh, I had an agenda. I wanted to experience God. Uh, I I had a prayer on my lips. I will not go unless you bless until you bless me. You know that Jacob wrestling with God from the Old Testament, uh, from the Hebrew Scriptures, and saying, "I will not let you go until you bless me." That's what I came out here to do. I came out here to wrestle with the Spirit. And lo and behold, um, after a year or two, my prayer was answered. But God did not come to me in spiritual garb. I did not come to know the Spirit through Christianity, which was my home. Um, but something much more personal, something much deeper, something much more naturalistic. Uh, some people would call it paganism, but I think you can go one step farther and call it shamanism. And as I began to develop and began to understand uh, the shamanic tradition, which was really, I think, the first religious impulse we had was uh, could probably be found under the rubric of shamanism. When I began to experience that, I discovered that the shamanic, the mystical shamanic experience is not found at just the heart of shamanism. Uh, it's at the heart of every single major religion that I was teaching, uh, especially the big five, Hinduism and Buddhism, and then uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But even all the rest, they all began with that, that great symbolic um, breakthrough. A, a, a founder or founders had a shamanic, a mystical shamanic experience. And from that experience, the religions grew, each in a different way. And it really brought together uh, the whole religious concept that I've been studying and teaching my whole life, all of a sudden fell into place. It's like a, a, a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you had all the pieces. And finally, when they all fall into place, you see the picture. And it has been wonderful for the last uh, oh, 12, 13 years now. I have been... Um, been growing in this idea. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, came over today. Uh, we were sitting on the front porch and the two of us were talking. And I was talking about the shamanic experience and uh, she's very familiar with all of this. And uh, she was saying the same thing, that um, all of the things that now cause division in the world, and religion is certainly one of them, politics being the other great one, uh, all of those things there is a, a component beneath them all that connect us. It's kind of like for, for J.R.R. Tolkien fans, the one ring <laughs> that mm -hmm. rules them all. Uh, and that one ring that rules them all, all of the religious traditions, really, I think, is mystical shamanism. And it goes back probably, well, at least 45,000 years, and I think probably a whole lot longer than that. Well, that is a big buildup. I love the, the Tolkien analogy. Um, but in some ways, it might even be too trite. Um, but uh, because uh, the, the Tolkien mythology, of course, comes from existing mythologies and, and some yeah, other things yeah. too. And if you listen to my friend Emery, he will tell you it's about uh, uh, modernization and the Industrial Revolution and World War One. And, and and of course, he's right as well. Uh, you know, there's parts of that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so. I don't even really know the right questions to ask right now. So take us back well, 45,000 years and, and yeah, start from the start. Yeah. Something happened to the human race. Uh, 
at least 45,000 years ago. It, it, it coincides with the great painted caves, for instance, of Western Europe. Um, but lately, in the last 10 years even, there have been uh, these kind of cave paintings and everything else found that are much, much older than that. So what do they represent? Um, the humans were anatomically the same as us at least 200,000 years ago. And that date is again being pushed back now. People yeah. are saying 300,000 years. But something happened. Let's say the first anatomically modern human came along, uh, even 2,000 years, uh, 200,000 years, although it's, I'm sure, much older than that. Then something happened uh, at, at least 45,000 years ago, and maybe a lot older. A group of gifted, I think, shamanic mystics, uh, they started out just as regular people, but all of a sudden they went right back into those caves, sometimes a half a mile underground, and started drawing all these pictures on the walls. Uh, and it was the beginning of what anthropologists call symbolic thought. Now, what is symbolic thought? As far as we know, we're the only creatures on Earth that have that ability to think symbolically, to, to, to draw something and say, this means that, or this stands for that, or something like that. And symbolic thought is the beginning of what anthropologists call religious thought. We began to, for the first time, see that something bigger than us was out there, something other, something on the other side of our perception realm. And what that meant was, for the first time, we began to think, not only are we not alone, but we began to perceive that there was something other that was perhaps even guiding us. And it was the beginning of religion, really. Um, and these first people who went back uh, into those caves, they had to be inspired by something. I mean, here they're, they're crawling back into those caves and it's dark and dank and dismal and it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, don't, don't you love the alliteration, dark, dismal, dangerous? I do. I, <laughs> and so they went back there, sometimes crawling on their their hands and knees or, or, or crawling on their stomachs and, and turning over and making these, these, these paintings. Well, what prompted them to do that? Uh, what prompted them to draw these pictures and, and to say something, um, and then to come out and to tell the other people in their tribes what they were doing. Um, I'm sure there must have been, <laughs> there must have been some, some, uh, pre-symbolic thought cave, person who came back from that meeting and said to his wife that day, boy, our old shaman has gone over the bend this time, you know, he, he's really come out with something great, something, something fierce. Yeah, and there's, and, and there's a really almost trite but but not insignificant uh, thought process here that, that lends to your idea that it's, you know, probably most, first of all, almost everything tends to be older than, than, than we think it yeah, is, yeah, the, yeah. you know, with the ancient world. But... How much trial and error before they tried things, before they realized what paint or what chalk or whatever wasn't going to come off the wall? They, yeah, yeah, they probably yeah. tried blood. They probably tried berries. They probably tried, you know, all you know, all sorts of things, and they would disappear, you know, and, and you know. So there, yeah. there probably was years, if not decades, of trial and error to find out would not what wouldn't just degenerate just through normal erosion or you know through yeah. condensation. So. Yeah, and, and, and that takes dedication. I mean, yeah. whatever was inspiring the technique, the craft, it must have been a powerful thing. They must have felt a real uh, spiritual need to to draw these wild, 
drawings and stuff like that. Um, as far as we know, you know, we're the only species on Earth that, that believes in God. Uh, we don't know anything, but what happened? I mean, what made them do that? Well, there's, there's about five different ideas uh, that, that people have come up with over the past that said, what brought about the idea of symbolic thought, the revolution? You kind of start to think, even if we're only talking anatomically modern humans, even if they only go back 200,000 years, and if the they went into the caves of at least Western Europe 45,000 years ago with fully developed technique and craft to do this kind of stuff, that means for like 160,000 years, nothing much was happening in the archaeological record. And now all of a sudden, boom, this great spring forward. So people say, what happened? Well, there's five different ideas behind it. Number one, there are people who say, well, God did it. Uh, it people had can come to the point where God or gods were now able to communicate, and somehow they did. Uh, another people, and here with me, we get into the ancient alien concept, for instance, said, well, our DNA was programmed to, to kick in at a certain moment, moment of our evolutionary history. And when we got to that point, then our DNA took over and said, hey, there's something bigger than you out there in the world. Um, the third idea is, is probably one of the most prevalent and that's that there was a group of people who developed uh, an understanding or use of hallucinogenic drugs, magic mushrooms or different plants that could be mixed together like ayahuasca, for instance, and that kind of thing. And so what happened was they took these hallucinogenics, which were consciousness expanding or mind expanding. And through that, they came to the, they came to the understanding that... Uh, there was a consciousness that was beyond our normal physical perception, our five senses. Um, another theory, which uh, is amazing how many people have picked up on this, is what I call, like to call the, the cosmic ray theory. Um, there is a star system near Deneb, which was in the northern, uh, the, the north star, which was in the, the, uh, the constellation of Cygnus, which contains the, the northern cross. Uh, this constellation, the star used to be our North Star, as a matter of fact, but it was kind of pushed out, uh, interestingly. Um, the, I, I think this is one way of interpreting the Arthurian stories, that uh, uh, Arthur was pushing out the old uh, the old dragon uh, symbol, which was the North Star, and the bear was coming into place, what we call the Big Dipper. And Arthur was the bear who was pushing out the old Merlin religion which is another fascinating thing. But apparently every once in a while, this star system unloads cosmic rays that just go through our, our whole uh, galaxy, I mean, our whole uh, universe. And what they do is uh, actually bathe the Earth with a certain amount of cosmic radiation. And some people are thinking that 45,000 years ago or even earlier, this, this happened. And we were actually, in effect, genetically transformed somehow to expand our consciousness because of this. Um, the fifth idea of where this came about, I, I like to call it, uh, give me the beat boys theory. <laughs> uh, you know, give me the beat boys. Free my uh, soul. The, the free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps people that came to understand that through uh, drumming, especially, and through the dance, uh, we could have this kind of this monotonous sound that worked on our psyche and uh, expanded our consciousness, and it was a form of meditation. And I think there's something to that too. There's probably something to all five of those ideas. But whatever happened, 
at some point, at least 45,000 years ago, people began to think symbolically, began to think in terms of religion. And I think probably the very first religion was the one who expressed it first, and that was the shamans, who had this mystical experience of expanded consciousness and saw life differently and began to perceive of us as being uh, uh, under you might say, or alongside of, or somehow connected to a presence that was outside of ourselves. Uh, we came to call it God. I, I think probably the best expression of it is found in Hinduism, which incidentally is also the oldest of these religions that we're going to look at in a minute. Uh, Hinduism, when they use the word God, they didn't use the word a God. There's a hundred million gods, literally, in, in Hinduism. They use the word Brahman which means uh, God, but it's uh, a word that cannot be expressed, a word that cannot be explained. You can't explain Brahman, because if you put Brahman into a box defined with words, Brahman is much bigger than words. Language came second, Brahman came first. Um, I, I had an experience when I, I first came across this concept when I was teaching Hinduism in college, and uh, because I had no experience previous to this with Hinduism, I wanted to make sure I got it right. The whole Brahman Atman contest. Uh, Atman is uh, the counterpart, the imminent idea of Brahman. Uh, Atman is best probably called the human soul. Uh, and uh, it, it's the same thing as Brahman, which is unexplainable, but it's within us. And the great Hindu concept was thou art that. Atman within and Brahman without are the same. So I want to make sure I got this right. So I had a friend who has a little shop downtown in uh, Massachusetts where I was, and uh, he was Hindu, and, and every morning he would go, and uh, before he opened up his shop, he had a little altar, and he would light his candles and burn his incense and say his prayers. Well, that afternoon I had to present my first lecture on Brahman and Atman, so I went, I went down to see him and I said, "Hey, can I can I talk to you for a little while? I want to make sure I get this right." And he says, "Oh, by all means, come, Jim, come." So I went down and I talked to him and I said, "I'd like to give you a condensed version of my lecture. Tell me whether I had this concept of Brahman right." He said, "Okay, okay." So I told him what I was going to say and I mentioned the whole thing. Brahman cannot be explained. Brahman cannot be you know defined. Brahman cannot. Be. And uh, after I'm, he's smiling and everything else. And I said, okay, did I get it right? And he smiled and he nodded his head up and down and said, no. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean, no? And he said, you're going to talk about that which cannot be talked about. And I said, I got to give a test on this. And he said, even worse. <laughs> so, so I went, I... I, I knew what he was saying, but I guess I didn't learn my lesson because that afternoon I, I gave the whole Brahman Atman lecture and I was inspired. And the first time I was delivering a lecture like this and the, the students in the class loved it. And they were all asking questions and everything else. And uh, it came the midterm. I used to teach Hinduism and Buddhism the first half of the semester and uh, monotheistic religions the second half. So it came in the first part of the semester and I had to give a test on uh, Hinduism. I hate. I hated giving tests. I still do, uh, but the school demanded it. You know, you got to give everybody yes, a grade. Of course. So I, I, I towed the line, and one of the my questions was: I wanted to be as broad as I could. So one of the questions on the exam was: in one paragraph of you know, I gave 
the length on the, on the thing. One paragraph, describe the Hindu concept of Brahman. And uh, of course, the kids all started writing and everything else. I got the test home that night and I started correcting him. And I, my best student, uh, the one who I thought was really getting it, he left the whole question blank. He didn't even say anything. I had to take five points off the test. Oh, man, I was so disappointed because I thought he was really getting all this. He was seemed so interested. The Sounds like he did. Hand, well, the next day I'm handing out the test, and he, he said, he's in the back of the room. He raises his hand. He says, Professor Willis. And I said, yeah, Paul, what's, what's up? He said, did everyone answer question five? And I said, well, Paul, they at least tried. You know, you, you just left it blank. And he said, you mean I'm the only one who got it right? I had to give the guy five points for turning in a blank piece of paper. That's, that's <laughs> because right. he was right. He had it exactly right. And and that's what I think these these shamanic uh, visionaries at the beginning, I think that's what they had experienced that. They didn't they couldn't explain it, they couldn't really talk about it, but they could draw pictures. And so they did. And some of these very symbolic pictures way back in the temples, which at that time were the caves. They would crawl way back there where it was dark and dangerous. I'm only with a candle, you know, and, and they would try to produce on the caves of those walls that which they had seen in vision. Uh, in other words, what they were trying to do was bring Brahman down to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this was the beginning, I think, of religion. Uh, and when you go back and look at the great five religions, which love to do that if, if, if we can today. Uh, I think that every single one of them begins with somebody who had that kind of a shamanic experience. In other words, I'm saying probably what some people are going to consider blasphemy, but I'm saying Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, they were all shaman. And uh, that this is a, that's the one ring. <laughs> that, that one, that's what begins it all. If you go back in your own religion, Whatever it may be, if, if you have an organized religion as your home base, if you go back, you will find a shamanic, mystical experience at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah I am not going to interrupt you because I, I, I absolutely want you to do this. And, and if you want to talk about the, the common core or, or the common sure. element in the five great religions, if, if, if Jim Willis says he wants to do it, then, then Jeff in the Garden of Doom says green light. It was funny though. I just want, I, I, I always take big things and make them sort of trite, but I think sometimes I get it like close enough that like, you know, maybe someone who's a new listener would get. So it's almost like when, when, you know, I think there's a big difference between a true believer and someone who's just trying to educate on those beliefs, how it has to be treated. So that's your Paul and the other students quandary and that it's sort of a reconciliation. But it's like, it seems like, you know, Nobody talks about Fight Club, but of course there is a Fight Club. You know that, that that's sort of how you know on baseline you're trying to to do it. But then you know on a, on a religious, there's like you cannot look upon the face of God. Yet you know every church ever has tried to paint faces of God. We cannot say the name of God, but we can put some together some letters and come with you know Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, Jehovah, well whatever. So while you can't say the name of God. We've given, we've given God a name. So, yeah. you know, so Paul is right. Uh, your, your friend who operated that shop clearly is right. I mean, listen, I don't know anything about Hinduism. I'm about to learn more right now than, than I probably learned, period, uh, before in, in the aggregate of my almost 54 years. 
Um, but it, it, it sounds like, you know, both can be right from a, an outsider perspective. But if you are a true, true, it's like when I was talking to the, to the yeshiva trained, um, Jewish individuals, they're, they're not rabbis, but, but, you know, they're, they're orthodox and, you know, there's, there's no, there's no point in saying anything is more than, you know, 5,783 years, though there's some allowance that maybe they got it wrong by a hundred years. Yeah. There might be 50, but you know, there's, there's no, there's no point in saying, well, how do you explain the, you know, the, the great, uh, heroes of renown, the great men of old, mm-hmm. there was no old. They're like, oh, they're, they're talking about during the, you know, everyone, that's why everyone lives 700 and 900 years. Cause you know, so they're talking about just the ones before them. Oh, okay. Um, but it was before the begetting and the begetting. What are you talking about? They're like, well, they were just talking about it in their past tense. They weren't talking yeah. about it in the past. So, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, you, you can't argue with people over their doctrine. I had a show with, with a, a black Israelite, which I knew nothing about, and everything I thought I knew was 100% wrong. Uh, the audio on that show is terrible, but I think it's a listen because I think probably most people have it entirely wrong as well. Yeah. Anyway, their doctrine is very unique, but it's their doctrine. So there's really no point in, in, you know, you can bring up points and, and the, the gentleman, I forgot his name, but his captain, his rank was captain. And he was very polite about answering things, but, you know, there, there wouldn't be any follow up question because at that point, I'm, you know, you risk offending him, you know, you risk yeah, offending yeah. their, their belief system. So oh, you, you just put your finger right on it. That's the problem right there. Uh, all the wars that have been fought have been not fought against spiritualities. They've been fought again through uh, against religions. Um, there's a difference. People that people say, "What's?" I've asked this question all the time. What's the difference between spirituality and religion? Well, there's a big difference. Yeah. Um, spirituality is based in a personal experience with that which is above us, unknown, with Brahman, with God, with Manitou, with anything. Um, individual experience. Out of that individual experience, people build religions. Religions are about doctrine and dogmas. And doctrine and dogmas are nothing but institutional fences designed to try to um, corral in that original experience. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, uh, let's talk about, for instance, Moses. Uh, here we have Moses, whether he was a real figure or a... Uh, composite figure or a mythical figure right now it doesn't make any difference we can argue about that the important thing is the story about Moses Uh, Moses was supposed to have lived uh, for what 120 years I guess and he was supposed to be for 40 years uh, he was raised as in in, with with the Pharaoh's family and then for another 40 years uh, after he went out left the Pharaoh I mean, after he left Egypt he went out and lived in the wilderness and out there in the wilderness he saw a burning bush and that was the experience that brought him back to where he spent the next 40 years of his life leading the children of Israel uh, someone's once said that Moses lived 120 years he lived 40 years thinking he was a somebody and then 40 years thinking he was a nobody and then 40 years learning what God could do with a nobody which <laughs> I think was a nice little way of putting it but basically, Moses' life was turned around when he had a shamanic spiritual experience with the other side. He saw a burning bush. Uh, the story is, uh, I get so angry when I hear 
these see these so-called learned articles trying to describe what the burning bush was and how there's a type of bush that looks like it's burning or the sun is behind them. Man, that's it's just silly to even try to nail that down. The important thing is the story. Whatever happened in the story, Moses had a shamanic experience. He met and heard and experienced the voice from the other side. And when he said, uh, who are you? Who shall I say sent me? The voice gave the great answer, I am that I am. He heard the, the voice of God giving him a message. This is typical shamanism. Uh, you find it throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet of God, but he was also a shaman. Uh, he was uh, he, a part of his group. And the, a shaman, the idea is that a shaman journeys, he makes a shamanic journey or a trip to the other side where he gets information that is above us and beyond us and then brings it back to heal the people. That's what Isaiah did. He was taken up, he said, into the third heaven. And he heard the voice of God and with the message of, of that God had for his people, the tribes of, of Israel. And uh, most, and then God, God said, well, who, who shall I send? Who shall give them this message? And Isaiah the shaman says, here I am, send me. And so he came back. And the result that we have is the book of Isaiah. Well, Moses had that same thing. It was a, it was a, a changing experience. It's like Paul the apostle had the same idea on the Damascus road when he was knocked off his horse and, and struck blind and, and, uh, and dumb. And, and he saw God. And he later ex explained it in 2 Corinthians 11 as a out-of-body experience. Well, this event happened to Moses. And at the burning bush, he was told, he was given a message to go back and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And this began Judaism. And so here was this experience. Now, out of this mystical, shamanic experience uh, grew a religion called Judaism. Religions are uh, comprise an ethical or moral response to the original shamanic vision of spirituality. Religions grow out of spirituality. They try to contain spirituality. In, in Judaism, it was symbolized by the Ten Commandments or the Book of Leviticus or the Law and the Prophets. Um, it was an idea to try to put a hedge or a fence around saying, our founder had this spiritual experience. Now, what's our reaction going to be? Well, out of that comes an ethical response. You're supposed to live a certain way, and here are laws telling you how to live. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Same thing happened with, uh, with, with Jesus. Uh, here was a first century carpenter. If, if there was ever an historical Jesus, he was probably a first century carpenter who was a prophet. And uh, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And he, what happened? His life was changed. He went out into the wilderness where for 40 days, again, probably a symbolic number, yeah. for 40 days he, he, he fasted. And uh, at the end of that time, he was hungry. This sounds like a vision quest, a Native American vision quest, where you go out and you don't eat and you don't drink and you sit and you meditate. And at the end of 40 days, the devil came to him and tempted him with the three great temptations, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, he gave them these three. And, and Jesus came out of that uh, religious experience, that shamanic journey, 
he came out of it with a message. The first thing he did was preach the Sermon on the Mount, which the essence of, of uh, Christianity is found in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, uh, all of the things that most people, they all came out of that Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it, it, was a, it, it was a way of trying to say that Jesus had a spiritual experience and out of that, that experience, his, his uh, followers, his disciples, and later right down to the present day, developed a religion, a doctrine, and dogma to try to contain that spiritual experience. The only difference is that Christians say our way is the right way, and Jews say our way is the right way. Uh, and they're both talking about a mystical experience, but they're, in a way they're not talking about that. They're, what they're talking about is the doctrines and the dogmas that grew out of that experience, yeah. uh, the ethical relation. Same thing with Muhammad. Um, Muhammad was a, 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 a caravan uh, driver. Uh, he was. He married a very rich widow who gave him time to go out and uh, and pray. And so he went out to his, his favorite cave and he meditated and he meditated and he meditated and he prayed until eventually the angel Gabriel came to him. And said, right. And, and uh, he dictated the Quran, according to the, the story. Can I ask you a silly and, question? And, yeah. and you might not know, but who was Muhammad no, no. praying to? Uh, well, at the time he was playing, praying to the Arab God. Uh, you know, he, was, he was an Arab. And there was a whole family of Arab religions. And basically one of the reasons he went out there was try to find which one was right. Uh, he was praying to the great unknown. And uh, he believed that the great unknown revealed himself through his through his angel, his messenger Gabriel, and uh, out of that came the Quran. And so, what is the Quran? It's the ethical or moral component that grew out of that original idea, saying, "This is what you know. Uh, this was the experience. Now, here's the religion that we're going to build around that experience." And uh, the essence of that doctrine and dogma is probably found in oh, the five. Um, the five great pillars of, of Islam, you know, five times a day you have to pray and you make a trip to Mecca and, and uh, alms to the poor and, and the other five great pillars. So here out of, you know, the three men, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad had a mystical shamanic experience, classic shamanism experience out alone in the wilderness, in the desert, uh, where they had gone on a vision quest. A vision quest was answered. They came back with the results of that vision quest and their followers then built three completely different dogmatic um, domineering religions that were based around that particular experience. And it doesn't have to be a monotheism. You can say the same thing about Buddha. Uh, you know, Buddha was trying to follow uh, Hinduism of his day. He was trying to become a, a, a better, you know, mystic, a better prophet. And finally he had to give up. Uh, he was, down to the point where he was fasting so much that he was eating one grain of rice a day and trying to figure out if he could live on one grain, maybe he could cut it in half and live, you know, <laughs> use it for two days. And uh, it, it, it is said that he had grown so thin and emaciated that uh, you could grab his backbone from his from the front, you yes. know, from around his stomach. And eventually he found himself saying, this is not the answer. So he went under the, the bow tree, the tree of knowledge, and uh, there under the Bodhi tree, he meditated. He just sat and he said, I will not leave this place. And he was met by the devil, Mara, the devil, the Buddhist concept of the devil, 
who gave him three temptations, just like Jesus. And uh, 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 Buddha managed to, well, at that time it was Siddhartha. Siddhartha managed to resist the three temptations. And as he did, it's the same thing that happened to Jesus, happened to him. He received the idea of the middle way, the great of, of Buddhism. He came back and where Jesus came back out of the wilderness and preached the Sermon on the Mount, Buddha came out and preached the Deer Park Discourse, which is basically the, the, the idea of Buddhism. And out of that mystical shamanic experience of the Buddha has grown all of these different Buddha, Buddhist sects today that are all different. They're all, they, they demand different ethical and moral responses, but they're all trying to encapsulate that, that original experience. So here it is, at, at, at the root of every single one of these religions that are fighting each other tooth and nail across the world today, at the root of all of them is a simple shamanic experience that was experienced by five different guys. <laughs> and from those five different guys grew all these different religions, which are based on uh, trying to encapsulate that original shamanic experience. It's it's discouraging, isn't it? <laughs> it, it? It is, and it's it's interesting because um, I, I, I there's a myth that is sort of generally agreed to be the origin myth that, that's the same, and that part of it is, but part part and parcel of that is that there was a three headed serpent, you know, serpent always, you know, and it's interesting that you have. Adjusting to civilian life is never easy. However, far too many veterans won't or just don't know how to ask for help. That's where we step in. We're Clear Path for Veterans, a nonprofit organization helping veterans throughout New York. We're here for the good days, the bad days, and every day in between. But we can't do it alone. By donating or volunteering your time, you can help a veteran find a sense of peace and community. To learn more, visit clearpathforvets.org. Clear Path for Veterans. Our name says it all. At Family Dollar, you'll find even more ways to save, like our digital smart coupons, including the Saturday Savings Pass. Explore our app and find additional discounts to stack savings on top of savings. Family Dollar, helping you do more. Yeah, the three temptations, the three-headed serpent, but there's also so much involved with the Trinity. And you, know, you think Trinity, you think Christianity, but there's been plenty of Trinities that are not just limited to sure. Christianity. Sure. I mean, the the three major gods of the Greek pantheon were the three brothers. Uh, the, the, you know, Odin had two brothers. There's, there's a, you know, there's trinities all over the place. Um, and at some point, we went from, you know, uh, matriarchal to patriarchal. And, 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 yeah. that, and that snake, that same three-headed snake got conjoined with woman. And from there, Woman's sort of been taking a, 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 a bad rap. <laughs> and, and, and it turns out that, that uh, uh, just by sort of accepting that principle as, as being possibly true, uh, apparently I'm a radical feminist, which, you know, okay, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. I, I didn't know I was a radical yeah. anything. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but uh, and, and I have theories on astrology also that, that, that is oh, why, yeah. why our yeah, little well, serpent. I the guy got sure. sure. Yeah, astrology figures into that. You, you mentioned the number three. Uh, astrology, of course, encompasses that number 12, which keeps coming back over and over again, too. Jesus had 12 disciples. Moses had you know 12 tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, in in uh, uh, 
Buddhism. Buddhism had 12 apostles originally, oh. disciples, followers. Did not know that. I mean, you, you, can, you can follow those, those traditions right down. And what really gets me at the basic of this, of each shamanic experience, there are some basic messages that the founder received. Love one another. Uh, give one another. Uh, you know, get out of the way and let God work. And this is a wonderful thing. And somehow we've turned that into a thing that says, don't love one another. Uh, nuke one another. You know, right. don't love one another. Uh, uh, try to destroy one another. And so we have this, these wars going on between religions in uh, here in this country. We re we're even taking Christianity and we're turning it into the radical, uh, you know, a radical political group in many ways. And it has split Christianity up. The Catholic Church was split when it when it went through its uh, a bit about uh, uh, you know the priests and you know were anything but faithful to their vows of celibacy. Uh, the Southern Baptist Church is going through it every year now because they're talking about uh, scandals within involving uh, you know sexual foibles of uh, Baptist pastors and. Catholics, Baptists, Episcopalians have been through it. Methodists have been through it. What, what have we done? Why, why have we come to the point where we can take that original, beautiful shamanic thing instead of saying that could unite us? Now it's divided us. I, I think it's a tragedy. I really do. Yeah, you I'm, turn you turn the I'm, the serpent from being you know the, the oh, thing yes. avoid gluttony into the dragon which has basically become the other the monster fear yeah, at all yeah. costs yeah and and so you you wind up with people like me i'm a christian minister who hasn't set foot in a church for 13 years go figure that out well didn't you jesus know, say a, that the, the, the jesus never talked about temples i mean he said you know where wherever there's two of you i'm with you something like that yeah, and, yeah. well you know it's it's funny when when i came out here to the woods um within the first two or three years i had built a uh uh, a replica of a Lakota medicine wheel uh, down below in this place. It's a very energy-laden uh, spot, a vortex on our property. And there the medicine wheel is. And it, I, I, I made it kind of eclectic, you know. I used the uh, Lakota Sioux uh, design but and, and, the, and the color scheme from the Lakota school. But I put it together with the four stages of life you find in basic Hinduism and uh, there's a couple of um, other religion things, ideas thrown in here. So I go back there and, oh, almost every day I go down and I walk around and I meditate at each of the four points of the medicine wheel, the four cardinal directions, northeast, south, and west. And I have a little prayer that I say. I, I stand in the, uh, in the east and I face the rising sun and I say every day is a new beginning. And then I go to the next stage and I face the north and uh, I, uh, out of the north, uh, is I, I mean the south rather out of the south comes the, the strength of like the summer of life where the sun is and everything else and I say strength for the task at hand for today and then I go to the west the setting sun and I say the vision of the, the prayer of the elder uh, which is uh, wisdom on the journey and then I go to the north where you depart and I say and at the end rest and I do this almost every day well, in my particular denomination, uh, even retired ministers receive a letter every year that says, what are you doing? What church are you serving? How are you doing this? How are you doing that? And in order to remain good standing in the denomination, um, you have to 
tell them what you're doing and tell them what your religious thing is or what church you're involved with. Well, I'm not involved in a church. So a couple of years ago, I don't know how long ago, rather than just leave it blank, I said, church, the medicine wheel. And uh, I don't think anybody ever read it. <laughs> it just goes into a computer somewhere. So sure enough, you can look at the, uh, the, the book of my thing and it lists Reverend James Willis, church of the medicine wheel. <laughs> I think I'm probably the only pastor of the church of the medicine wheel in my denomination, but that's the way it is. I think that's great. I think, I think your version of the medicine wheel is something you should probably publish. And I, you know, I mean, I, I, this sounds wrong, but distribute, you don't need to sell. I was going to yeah. say sell cause that's how I'm wired, but just distribute. It doesn't need to be sold. It'll be given. It can be freely given. Um, yeah. but, uh, it sounds like a great concept uh, and you've, blended a lot of things, but really you haven't blended a lot of things. You've, you, I think in your mind, you've taken it to just what the original intention was and given it terms that people might recognize today. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that because I have, uh, I have written a book about it. It hasn't been published yet. Uh, I can't find a publisher who wants to publish it. Uh, it's called Sabuco and Me. Uh, Sabuco is a spirit guide who came to me, oh, 12, 13 years ago, who was a shaman himself. And I discovered him first through dowsing and then uh, later through med meditation. And it's kind of sounds funny for a, a right brain, you know, a systematic theologian such as myself, a scientist such as myself who studies quantum theory and stuff like that. Sounds kind of silly to say that I have a 35,000 year old spirit guide named Sabuko who was my teacher and mentor and in effect he's me on the other side I've come to here but we met down there uh, at that medicine wheel and the energy lines that I found here on the property um, I, and I find myself having these experiences that are uncannily eerily similar to some shamanic people I've known in the past such as Elijah or Paul the Apostle um, or or Isaiah or Moses or Jesus or any of these people that I find, I find that they're in my own tradition, which is why I still call myself a Christian minister. I don't have to leave my tradition to find essential shamanism. And the Jew does not have to leave Judaism to find his essential shamanism, that, that original spirit. And and the, the Muslim doesn't have to leave Islam to to find it. The Buddhist can, can find it, the Hindu. And so when you put it all together, I think that there are secret people like me in all of these different religions that have discovered that essential component, which is much more earth-based. And I think if we can just find ways to reach out to each other, and that's why I love programs like yours, because this gives us an opportunity to do that. If we can reach out to each other, find out who each other are, um, we could change the world uh, if there were enough of us. We can get rid of the silliness and the, the nonsense, and we can get back to the essential truth of what religion is supposed to be. It's supposed to build up that original shamanic experience, not encapsulate it and say we're right and they're wrong. I think that's a really interesting point. And it's funny, it's like, you know, when I think if somebody hears you say this, for the first time, they're going to think, wow, it's very new agey. But I, I think you're 
point is, no, it's not. This is old aging. This is very the, old age. The, the oldest aging. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's been with us for at least 45,000 years, and I suspect probably much longer than that, this idea of unity. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yes, I'm sure these concepts uh, were, you know, come to um, before someone figured out how to put paint on a cave or even thought of the idea of putting paint on a cave. They probably first put paint on, you know, the sides of rocks or mountains or whatever, or drew it in the sand. And, you know, then they would just, they disappeared when the gazelle or the bison walked over them. But so the... So here's the, the, you know, shamanism, animism. And I've learned there's, there's more than one kind of shamanism. I know one is animistic, I think, and one is, or animistic and telluric are the same. And then there's another word, and I, I forgot it already. Well, and animism uh, is, is a shamanic principle. But I mean, it's it's not a it's not necessarily confined to shamanism. But animism basically says that the whole world is animated by spirit. Everything has spirit within it: a tree, a leaf, a person, a rock. And uh, it's the idea that uh, we are all animated by that central spirit. And I think that's probably if you have a if you have to locate a doctrine for shamanism, uh, animism is probably a pretty good place to start. And you know, you can say shamanism. And you know, in Central Asia and and yeah. Far yeah, Asia, that, well, that's that's another problem. I'm I'm sure that when this gets out there, somebody's going to say, "Wait a minute, Jim. How can you use the word shamanism? Shamanism is a Siberian term that came out of Siberia and came out of a particular people." Yes, I know it did. I know these original people that I'm talking about did not call themselves shaman. I don't know what they did call themselves because we don't know what they what their language was, but it's a term that has since been used to describe what I'm talking about. So even though it's a particular, has particular Siberian roots, it's now a universal term that basically means anyone who has that traditional shamanic experience. Um, the shamanic experience was described so well, for instance, by Joseph Campbell. Um, God's in every man, that kind of idea. The idea that here we are, we're just going about our normal day business, every one of us, <coughs> excuse me, every one of us going about our normal business, just normal day, and this moment is going to be like any other, and then all of a sudden something happens. We have a vision, we have an experience, uh, we have an out-of-body experience, we we die and then come back in a near-death experience, or um, something happens to us, or we have a dream, uh, we're in a bad accident, um, something happens that pushes us out of our normal experience and we experience a greater reality and in that greater reality we discover a presence we discover um, sometimes it's a voice sometimes it's a figure of light and we receive a message and the message is go back and tell them or go back and do this or go back and do that to try to bring into this area of our perception realm the wisdom that comes from on the other side. That is the typical shamanic experience. Yeah. Uh, you can't, a lot of people try to have an out-of-body experience, for instance, in shamanism, just to experience it. They say, I just want to experience being out of the body. Well, that's a pretty egotistical thing to do. You don't go out of the body just to get a thrill. You go out of the body to get information, to get um, a, a, a truth that needs to be heard in this on this side of the perception fence. 
And so we come back into the world and deliver that message. That's why so many shaman were considered healers. Uh, they didn't know how to heal their patient. And so in this drumming or in this out of body and through possibly taking hallucinogenics or something, they would go to another realm, another, there they would receive what the real problem was with their patient. And then they could come back and heal the patient. The patient may have had a, a physical ailment that was based upon a psychosomatic uh, thing. And so you can't heal the physical thing without he healing the psychosomatic or the spiritual problem that began it. That's what shamanisms do. That's shamans do. So in, in, in a sense, that's why when I came out here to the woods, uh, I came out here to experience the holy, to experience the divine. And I did that. But if I had just left it there, it would have been blasphemy. So I had to write books. Right. So I had to go and had to go and start talking. I, uh, I had to give lectures. I had to, uh, you know, communicate with people. I had to go on shows such as yours because that's that's what we're that's what we're here to do is to 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 spread the word that something in your perception realm is not right, and here's how to fix it. It seems to me that person who said to you, "Well, the word shaman is they're just being nitpicky. They're just being a pain." Yeah. I mean, you could easily go to them and say. Well, the word God isn't God everywhere, but yeah, everyone knows what the word God go. means. I mean, Absolutely. You, know, you know, I mean, that, that, that's just silly. Or the word car or sun. I mean, it just is yeah. a word everyone, you know, sort of, you know, universally at this point knows what it means. Uh, or at least, you know, nothing's universal. Let's say 70% of the world, you say shaman, they know what you're talking about. Whether it's well, Tengri yeah, yeah. or Aboriginal, you know, Australian, or yeah. whether it's Native American or, or, or First Nations South America or, you know, Arctic, you know, Inuit, Algonquin, Cree, whatever, you know, uh, right. whatever, you know, we, uh, African, you know, we know whether it's Wicca, whether it's Druid, you can have put a million different terms on it, but at, at, at core, it, it's shamanism, right, right down to, ascends and maybe even the you know the 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 cathars and and there's a lot of argument that, that jesus was basically an an ascend which is basically yeah. you know fr free thinking like you're saying you know one with nature and mm -hmm. and the gospel is just spreading the word because if you right. experienced it for yourself and kept it to yourself well that's just selfless that's for you but it's not for you it's it, it's, yeah. it's for everyone yeah you know People can get some kind of an idea about how words work. Uh, next time you have a very vivid dream that when, when you're sleeping and you have this vivid dream and everything seems so real and you can, it's tactile, you can touch it, you can see it, you can taste it, smell it. Then you come back and try to find words to explain it. You can't do it. And that is the essence of the difficulty, the central difficulty of shamanism. Mm -hmm. In effect, you're going to a place that is beyond language because our language was invented to describe stuff on this side of our perception fence. You go to some place that is beyond language, and while you're there in an out-of-body experience, I've had this experience many times, while you're there, everything is so clear. It's more real than this life. Uh, everything makes sense. And you say, yeah. And then you come back, and you have to try to put the unknowable into words, and all of a sudden the words sound trite. That's why I think the Hindus were so smart when they said, no, Brahman, you can't explain Brahman. If you think you have, you haven't. Uh, so it's difficult. So what do we do? Well, we do the best we can. Some of us talk. Uh, some of us crawl back into caves and draw pictures. 
some of us compose music that is just unbelievable. I'm absolutely convinced that uh, that Bach and Mozart had shamanic components in them because some of their music, you listen to it, Beethoven, Brahms, you listen to it and you experience something. And then you try to say to someone sitting next to you, that to me was like, and then it sounds trite. You can't, you can't capture it. Uh, it's, it's sublime. And uh, that's the way, that's what art is supposed to do, which quite frankly is a big topic of mine right now with, about schools in our area. And I'm sure from what I see all over the country are uh, taking art and music and things like that out of the schools in favor of mathematics and science. Now, mathematics and science is good. It teaches us how to live a life. Um, and that, that's fine. But what is that life for without music, without art, without poetry, without prose, without the essence of what it is to be? Uh, and I, I think that's just another sound, another sign of the downfall of our situation, that we're removing everything that is important to live for in order to come up with this intellectual left-brain way of approaching it. I think they're all part of the same circle. You have I think so. yeah, I think you're right. science and math are sort of your way of understanding the universal truths of the physical world. And yeah. with quantum, it, it blurs the lines a little bit. And art and music are your ways of understanding the spiritual side of of the universal languages and again with quantum it blurs the lines which which makes it almost silly to try to i mean yeah. what yeah. i i came at the show accidentally and I'm, I'm not telling the origin story of the show again because anybody who's been a long-term listener doesn't want to hear it again um but what i've learned early on and quite just by subscribing to various, you know, uh, Facebook pages or, or, or periodicals and just seeing the headlines and finding things that are interesting. At some point I realized, huh, that, that discharge of electricity that, that's tracked to someone's brain at the moment of death, who says that's not a soul? And then when they said, you know, they, they were able to ask somebody who was in a dream state questions, and that person would answer them through the same tracing of electricity. Well, okay. And then people like, well, light, light travels, you know, is energy. Can light contain information? Of course it can. I mean, what, what, what's laser reading? What's a CD player, you know, yeah. picking up on? So like all of these things, and I don't even know if I'm making sense now, but to me, science and spirituality are, you know, when you, when you get to the root, they're almost the same the, the same thing. It takes one to understand the other, which to me is, you know, increasingly, I, I, I mean, listen, I don't mean to say that the difference between whether somebody said, let there be light and the Big Bang Theory is not important. Obviously, it's, it's, it's important, but the, 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 the way things played out after whatever the cause are is the same. You can still understand all of that and, and disagree whether it was just, you know, that's physics or whether there was some being who actually said, let there be light or whether that's a metaphor, you know, and, and that part, that part's why we kill each other, which, you know, mm -hmm. you can really say, you can really say, uh, or I, I'm talking too fast. I'm speaking over myself, but you can, <laughs> you can say reasonable minds can differ on that, but we, we just can't seem to get, past that and then we can get, get past whether mary was divine or not or whether 
I don't know what the difference is between Sunnis and Shias, but they can't get past that. And we can't get past whether women should be in the same religious sphere as the, the, the men. And, you know, whether you wear a, you know, a hat or something on your head or not makes you holy or whether you eat pig or not, or, or, you know, if you're eating a lobster, if you're, you're, you know, committing some affront to God and like things like that, that, people think are important. And I just fail to see how that's important. It seems like those are the things that divide us. Adjusting to civilian life is never easy. However, far too many veterans won't or just don't know how to ask for help. That's where we step in. We're Clear Path for Veterans, a nonprofit organization helping veterans throughout New York. We're here for the good days, the bad days, and every day in between. But we can't do it alone. By donating or volunteering your time, you can help a veteran find a sense of peace and community. To learn more, visit clearpathforvets.org. Clear Path for Veterans. Our name says it all. Ollie's is your holiday headquarters. Our shelves are packed with brand name toys, books, decorations, gifts, and so much more. Ollie! Good stuff, cheap! Needlessly, um, unless you're the true echo, you know, environmentalist that says, well, those are things that, that keep us from, you know, <laughs> you know, making the earth unlivable, but it, it hasn't worked so yeah. far. I mean, despite all our efforts, there's still, you know, seven and a half billion of us and growing. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it, it's a, it's a terrible thing. You, you put your finger right on it. Um, every single group begins with some kind of a, a faith statement. Uh, and I'm not talking about religious groups. I'm talking about every group. Scientists, have faith statements. There are some scientists whose faith statement says, I do not believe there is anything outside of the material world. There are other scientists who say, well, there might be something outside of the material world, but if so, we can't find it. Bingo. You had two denominations. You got the, the ones that say only materialism, and you got the ones that say, well, materialism, but maybe there's some outside, but we'll never know what it is. Uh, and then people start arguing with each other. I must be right because, and they use their own their own ways. I just, I, I despair sometimes uh, because uh, they all break into what I like to, well, in Christianity we call denominations. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, I'm sure when the two first shaman went into the painted cave to put a picture, one of them painted a picture of an elk and one of them painted a picture of a buffalo because that's what they were seeing in their vision. And they came back. I'm sure they began to argue with each other. No, 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 no. I had an out-of-body experience. It was an elk. No, 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 no. I had an out-of-body experience. It was a buffalo. There you have it. The two denominations, the Elkites and the Buffaloites. And they probably went to war with each other. You know, that kind of thing. It's, it's just silly. It's, it's, it's childish. It's infantile. And the smartest people that, that, uh, that claim these things, some of these talking heads that we see on television that, claim to be so intelligent, claim to be so important, claim to be so... I look at some of them and I just say, you're acting like children. And on top of that, I'm going to add something to this, which I think I sort of said before, but not as crisply. They took the chimera instead of being the reconciliation and made it the monster. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, what can we do? We can sigh and we can say, well, there it is. But it's, it's, it's the way the world is nowadays. 
I never in a million years, not that I'm a million years old, but I never thought that this would be, these would be concepts and words flowing out of my mouth and entering my brain. I mean, <laughs> I mean, two years ago, less, I'm just a guy. I, I you know, I like Thor in the comic books and Hercules. And then I sort of realized that I, I stumbled upon the epic of Gilgamesh and, and he reminded me of Beowulf. And then all of a sudden he reminded me of Hercules and, then I'm bored in, in services and I'm reading Genesis and I'm like, what the heck is in the feeling? What, what, what do you mean the heroes of old? What's old? We're, yeah. we're Adam and Eve are two paragraphs up. What, old? What? 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 <laughs> you know, and, and, and that, that's why well, I just said I wasn't going to bore people with the origin story. And that's only part of it, but, uh, but I'll stop there. But uh, yeah, that, 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 uh, it, it just occurs to me, you know, instead of taking the, you know, putting the elk head on the buffalo or the, or the buffalo head on the elk body and saying, cool, close enough. You know, it's a, it, that's a big, powerful undulate that's important in our world. Let, 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 let's all our cloven be, you know, we, we, we turned it into a monster and the cloven beast eventually becomes, you know, from, from f- fertility to yeah. Satan, the, you know, the, 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 yeah. the, the great evil, uh, the monster, the dragon, the, the, the you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, and then we go from there to, uh, reptilians are in the earth, you know, con- controlling us all. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. You know, art, art cannot really, I mean, art is symbolic. We go right back to where we started with symbolic thought. Um, the original artists in the caves, you know, they were, they were thinking symbolic. They were trying to express in art what they had experienced. I think at least what they had experienced in their out of body trip and their shamanic journey. And I think it's the same same way with mythology. You talk about the proto-myths. I think the important thing is not, did this really happen or did that really happen? The important thing is that a myth is a piece of art that is trying to explain a reality that you cannot explain technically. All you can do is put out that myth and someone listens to it and it resonates with something inside. And they might not even be able to explain it, but they say, aha, I get it. And once you do, once you get it, you can't uh, describe it in any better way than, than in the mythology. That's the whole essence of Zen Buddhism, is try to um, stop the brain from being this computer that's just going off. That's why they use the koans, you know. Uh, what is the sound of one hand clapping, which is probably never used, but that's the most famous one everybody jokes about. The idea is there is no answer to it. All you can do is just think about it, and pretty soon your mind just says, wait a minute, oh, aha, I get it. And then if somebody says, well, what do you get? Try to explain it, then you've lost it. So try to explain it. Yeah, but the thing but is, it's, it's, it's such from a man-centric view that, uh, that but, but we even limit ourselves because the fly hears it, the bat would hear it, uh, the, the one-handed clap. I mean, it's a different kind of hearing, um, you know, but, you know, they can't conceive as far as we know of, you know, beyond yeah. beyond themselves, or even they might even not even have a sense of self beyond mate, fight, flight, eat, sleep, you know, or yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. warm, cold, whatever. Um, yeah. But we should be able to, and, and, and we seem not to. Now, I have... I think if I think if we don't establish that, if we don't get back to that, if we don't learn how to to live in that kind of reality, I think we're doomed. 
I think that you're I think that you're right, but I'm slightly more optimistic, but ever so slightly more optimistic. I'll, and I'll use your your example, and then I'll grow upon. I'm not sure that the first two guys who painted them or people will make a gender neutral who painted the, the one who painted the elk and the bison immediately got to arguing about it. I think they're probably like, you know, they were in the college dorm and they're like, cool. That's what I saw. That's what I saw. And they were like, okay. But when the, the one who drew, saw the bison and the one who saw the elk and their various clans stumbled into the same valley over the uh, same like hunting that. grounds, like that's when it became those are the elk people. Those are the buffalo people. Bad. That I like it. I that's when you're absolutely right. Now that's that doesn't cool. solve a thing, <laughs> except to, except well, it, the it obvious. Shows, it shows the difference between the original spiritual experience and the religions that developed from them. Yeah, you and, know, elkites and buffaloites are religions. Uh, seeing an elk and seeing a buffalo—that's a spiritual experience. That's a big difference. Right, but when you see it as the resource, you know, and yeah. and, and the resources yeah. you yeah. decide are limited or even now limited, you want to control them. That that yeah. that's the part that makes us. That's the part that makes us, you know, the bad part of our humanity. Uh, not the not 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 the snake and not women and right. not men right. and, and it's right. and, and all and all that. Uh, but then again, you'll also have the other people who point to, well, you need that kind of conflict to advance civilizations. That, that's how the uh, the shadow saw it in Babylon Five, anyway. So, well, you know, uh, right? So right. there, there are bigger philosophical things, but uh, I, I don't know. The guess who I think said it best when they said share the land. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I I don't support communism because it only takes one person to cheat. Um, but if there was some way to not cheat, then it, it probably would be nicer and better. But, uh, you know, then I probably wouldn't have pizza and cheeseburgers. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wrote a book uh, many years ago now, probably almost 20 years ago now, called uh, Faith, Trust, and Belief. It's still one of my favorite books that I've written. It's a, basically an, an exegesis or a description of one Greek word, uh, the Greek word pistis, which means faith, trust, and belief. And in that book, um, I said the next great evolutionary step in humanity has got to be a change in the human heart. And uh, I think I think that's it's not an option anymore. I think that's the answer. It has to be that way. We have to we have to find a way to change the human heart. And to me, the way to do that is through uh, spirituality, not religion, and uh, a return to something that is very very old not an adoption of something that's very, very new. I, I think that you're right. And I think that reconciliation is what I don't mean that like we forgive everyone for each other's past transgressions, yeah. uh, which which is not bad either. But I, I, I mean, reconcile that the difference between religions and yeah. the difference between science and, and advancement, th those things can be reconciled. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, and that that's what we have to, and you're right, it requires a change of the heart. And I think that's probably a, a good Good place for us to stop on on the show, but I do want to give. First, I want to thank you, um, uh, and thank you for you know allowing me to be part of this conversation or feel like I'm part of this conversation. Oh, which, yeah, which thank he, you, and, and you know, Jeff, I'll tell you, um, you know, you and I talk to each other. Um, we have no idea who's listening, and I love to hear from people who are listening. So, if there are any of your listeners who have a, comments or would like to contact me. Uh, if you go to my webpage, which is www.jimwillis.net, and go to the contact section, uh, send me an email. Let me know what you think. 
uh, I'd love to hear from you. I really would. Yeah, absolutely. Send contact him, and you can do the same with me. But he's more erudite. Um, (laughs) Is there? I mean, are there any of the books you want to name? I mean, you just gave your website, so um, you you have a YouTube channel. They're they're all on the website. Uh, What we've talked about today is probably uh, I wrote in a whole lot more depth in two books called Ancient Gods and Supernatural Gods. Uh, But I would like to alert people to two books that are coming out uh, this next year one in uh in i think in january um it's called sabuco and me uh uh relationship spiritual relationship through time and then in march i've got a book coming out that's bound to be controversial (laughs) i'm almost dreading it called american cults and that's uh, published by visible ink press and that's uh that's coming out in march oh well uh, i'm looking forward to that one I, I, i definitely want to talk to you about that one and I'm going to also want to probably well, talk we, to you. We, we talk not only about American cults from the very beginning, like the Pilgrims, but we come right into uh, and, and bear the lion in his den and take on things like everything from uh, oh, Proud Boys and Oath Keepers to uh, QAnon conspiracies and everything else in that book. So oh, I'm, let, I'm almost dreading it's coming out. But I'm not. Let, let's let's do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm also going to look forward to you on your comments on the Arthurian shows, which none of them have been recorded yet, but uh, uh, I'll be interested in your take on, on those as well. But yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously, as usual, you've booked yourself for additional episodes, which is really my joy and pleasure. <laughs> Folks, check out his books. Listen, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sponsored by Audible, so don't think that I am, but I recommend it to you. You get one free credit, get Censoring God. And listen to Censoring God or, or buy it on Amazon and read it. It is an easy read and it's brilliant. Um, and then every month you get another credit. So, you know, Supernatural Gods was one. What was the other one? Ancient Gods. Ancient Gods. Uh, they're going to go on my list as, as well. Uh, I also have a list that the shaman gave me. And then I have a list that I found from some guy on YouTube. With I can't say I can't pronounce his last name. It's it's Craig Morton or something. Craig Craig McGinn. Um, but uh, he's you know it's they're not his books. Um, and I've got one on my wish list, and I'm trying to make my st- my way through Neil Stevenson's The Fall. Neil Stevenson's one of my favorite fictional writers, but I don't know. I feel like this one, while it's brilliant, it's also a little self-masturbatory yeah. in the. Uh, and uh, we're living in a simulation. I figured out how, why things repeat, and it's because of, uh, I don't know. Anyway. You know, you know, Jeff, now that you mentioned, uh, there, there's one more book I have to mention. You mentioned audible books. Uh, I wrote my first work of fiction last year. It's called The Wizard in the Wood. And uh, I, I, I did the audible book myself, Jen. My, my, uh, my, my daughter, my colleague, my friend, my tech support and spiritual guru and everything else. We did it together. And it's uh, the audible book of The Wizard in the Wood is probably the favorite project I've ever done. The music from it comes from uh, a friend of mine from India who's a wonderful musician called uh, Ajit Padmanabh. Uh, he did the music for it. And uh, we, uh, because it's called The Wizard in the Wood, of course, there's a lot of places in the woods and Oh, we put in a lot of sound effects from our own backyard and all this kind of thing. Uh, I love the story, and if you like audible books, uh, this is really an experience. So it's the the audible book uh, copy of The Wizard in the Wood. Amazon has it. There you go, folks. Check check all that stuff out. Get it, and 
it's it's a small world, sort of. Not really, because I think you're the one who referred me to Ajit, but Ajit yeah. was on this show, and he did the show on the uh, Vedic culture and the Mahabharata, which is why I didn't bother you about it, because uh, I actually because you actually referred me to someone who knows everything about it. Um, and he's coming on again. We're going to do a show on uh, Hinduism very Wonderful. soon. Yeah, so uh, he's become a friend of the show also, and yeah, his music is really cool. Um, if you want a sample of it, I used his music at the end of his show, because why not? Um, yeah. So yeah, add all those things to your list. Makes great Christmas gifts or Hanukkah That's gifts right. or Kwanzaa gifts or just a gift. Just give, give, give a gift. Change the heart, right? Start with gifts. Um, so Reverend Jim, I thank you so much. Um, thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. it. We'll be in touch soon. And folks, thanks for listening in. I appreciate if you do drop us lines, both myself and Reverend Jim, or any of the guests who have offered that in the past, and most do, and give us a rating and a review and refer the show to your friends because it's sort of genre-defined. I will do a show one week on a deep dive in, into Babylon 5, which may seem trivial, but I don't think it is, and, you know, on, on vampires and voodoo and comparative religions and, and all this stuff. And, you know, there's other shows that cover these things as well, but maybe that's all they cover. Um, so this can sort of be like your... It's going to be like sort of like your Walmart without the vast commercialization. By the way, I'm not against commercializing this, but I don't. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, thanks again. And folks, hopefully we will hear from you and at least six of your friends next week in Day Garden Oak. Today I'm more confused Yet I look for the light through the pouring rain Though that's a game that I hate to lose And I'm feeling the strain Ain't it a shame? Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll and drift away Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll and drift away
rhythm and rhyme and harmony You've helped me along Making me strong Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll and drift away Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll and drift away Nurses are the heart and soul of healthcare, and for over a hundred years, Bassett nurses have been providing innovative patient care and fostering healthy rural communities. We're not your typical health system. If you're looking for a meaningful and rewarding career, join us at Bassett. Build your legacy where legacies are built. Be a Bassett Healthcare Network nurse. Apply today at www.bassett.org/careers. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a karate teacher to trim their hedges. Man, these shrubs are not made of plywood. Don't worry, another few chops should do it. Yeah! Nope! Yeah! Dang! But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Oh, this treehouse looks like particle board. Yeah! There we go. I'm starting to doubt myself. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.